You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Laura Garnett. And Laura is a performance strategist. She's also a TEDx speaker. And she's the author of The Genius Habit. And I'm excited about this conversation, learning about her background in business and the work that she's been doing in growing her company and the work that she does with groups around being more productive, being more effective with that. Laura, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. So why don't we start a little bit with your background? So I know you've been doing a lot recently and you've got this book out, but how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, well, I started in the corporate world. I was in the corporate world for 11 years. I was at Capital One for seven and then at Google for three years and then at a startup for another year. And really what got me started and what I'm doing now is that I had a massive career crisis when I was at Google, which sounds kind of ironic and crazy, (laughs) but essentially I ended up in a job that I, that I didn't like, that wasn't a great fit. And it started prompting a lot of big questions that I'd never asked myself before, such as, you know, what am I meant to do? Mm. What is the impact that I want to have on the world? And what am I best at? And how can I achieve the kind of success I want in a way that's going to be fun? And I went seeking answers to those questions and came up after a year of working with coaches and reading every book I could, I came up (laughs) empty handed (laughs) with a few interesting suggestions. I remember at one point I took this exhaustive test and they told me what I was supposed to be. And and the coach that was translating the responses said I was meant to be a rock star or a professor. (laughs) And I thought, huh, okay, I'm sitting here at Google. This is, that's somewhat um, overwhelming and not helpful. Yeah, yeah. I love love those assessments. I I remember I did one assessment around this where kind of similar thing. I was kind of at a point in my career. I was like, I don't know, what do I do next? And and, uh, doing all the questions and everything. And, you know, the, the machine is churning and it pops out this answer and it's as architect. And I was like, oh, well, I started as an architect. I don't want to go back as an architect. Right. So sometimes there, there's, a, there's information that is kind of missing around how to do that, uh, how to do that assessment. Well, that, and that is exactly what started me on this path because they were telling me what to do and yeah. what I needed was how. How do I go about you know, taking the next step in my yeah. career? What are the behavior habits? What is the process? And that's the part that I couldn't find. And so I ended up kind of quitting Google and then getting a job at a startup and finding myself once again in another job that wasn't right for me. Mm-hmm. And that was in 2009. And, you know, the economy crashed and I ended up getting laid off because the the startup failed. Sure. And, and, in, and that was the greatest gift of my life because I decided at that point, I want to create my dream job and I'm going to figure out 
this answer, you know, the question, the answers to the questions I've been asking on my own and then help others with in the same, in the same way. Yeah. And, and that's really what, what started me on the path. And that was, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. No, I know, I know you do a lot of work with folks on this. I mean, do you, do you think this is sort of not uncommon that focus folk, people kind of start their careers with a certain frame for what success is going to be or what they, what they think success is going to be or what happiness or, or, you know, looking at their career, what's going to satisfy them, and then kind of reach this point of realizing that it, that it doesn't work, that the, that the frame or the thinking that they've had is not actually working for them. Is this, is this something you find common out there? I guess, what's your sense on how frequently it's happening? Oh, oh yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, you know, I, that's a, that's a, I love that topic. I mean, because I really think that most people get these frames or these stories from society yeah. um, or from their family. And usually the, the stories and messages from society are pretty loud and mm-hmm. people follow them. And at some point they realize it's not working. And I think when I, when I started doing lots of research on the psychology and the science and the neuroscience of success, it just blew my mind because what I saw very easily was that the messages that society sends are the exact opposite of what's really, what's actually really important for success. You know, and success in us, and again, I always encourage people, and that's at the beginning of the book, to define, create your own definition of success. Um, because success is different for everyone, but oftentimes we're using a definition that, once again, we've that's been handed to us, which is usually making a lot of money, having a lot of power, having a lot of influence, and sometimes that that's not the right thing for everyone. Yeah. So absolutely, I think that's that's one of the biggest components of my work is really peeling back kind of the messages and the and the the stories that people have been told. And really helping them unearth the story that's right for them, yeah. which comes from within. Yeah. And do you have? I'm curious about time timing on this, or kind of you know stage of life. I think one of the things I certainly have seen, and I've, I've got young kids, and, and kind of thinking through you know how what role I'm going to play in their process. But you know, you kind of come out of high school, you go into college, or you're doing some kind of you know additional training degrees, and I think there's a I certainly felt it. It's a, a pressure to make big decisions fairly early in that process. I mean, even just, you know, if you're going into a, a college degree situation and declaring degrees or areas of focus, I mean, do, do you think that, do you think that, that the, the timing of this and, and this, I think, kind of process we get into or situation we're getting into, having, having to declare, the, make these big decisions, declare these objectives or areas of focus early contributes to the problem or how, I guess, Absolutely. talk to me about your your analysis of that? Yeah. In fact, I think one of the biggest questions, I think one of the biggest issues with children is that they're asked from a very early age, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? Who do you want to be when you grow up? And to me, this is the beginning of the false storytelling because the right question for any child and this, you know, my next body of work is really how to raise your children in their zone of genius. Mm. And the right question is, who are you? What are you good at? And the problem is that society tells, tells you what to do before you get to know yourself. And the midlife crisis is this yeah. thing of I've lived my whole life not, not being who I am, and now it's time to do that. Whereas what I believe is the healthier you know, vision for the future is that kids learn right from the beginning, who are they? And then they start to answer the bigger questions as to what's the right career, what's the right school, what's the right path based on who they are. And they're really secure and clear about what that is first. 
And, you know, if that were the case, then I wouldn't have any clients. But but I want to get to that point um, because what an amazing world where people truly embrace the value of who they are first before going into those next decisions. I love that. I think I, I always I have this funny story when I was young. My mom was asking me what I wanted to do when I grew up, and I said I always said I wanted to be an artist and marry a rich woman. So uh, that, was, that was my strategy. That was my life strategy. Did that happen? Is no, that- no. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't. But uh, but I had you know I had a, I was I was very clear. <laughs> I still do a lot of art, actually, ironically. Um, but, that's uh, amazing. I'm uh, sure that's. I mean, that's important. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, always, I always think back on that. So uh, so in terms of. Um, um, let, let's talk a little bit about the business. So you, you went you went through this personal kind of professional uh, you know process or journey or experience, kind of discovering this stuff. How, how did you go from uh, coming out of the second startup experience, uh, realizing kind of the situation you're in, looking at uh, the tools that you wanted to develop for yourself, and then starting to develop them as tools for other folks? How did that process work for you? Yeah, you know, it was um, a lot of trial and error. And, you know, I've heard you speak before about focus, and I think that is really been kind of um, a big that that's been the key to my progress over time is that I started really with I'm building my dream job. I have no idea what I'm going to do. And so I allowed myself to really just do whatever came my way or approach opportunities uh, with curiosity. And so the first couple years was really just working with a couple of thought leaders and helping them grow their business and realizing that wasn't what I was supposed to do. And as soon as I had the realization that this work isn't quite right, I would pivot and I would shift it. And I did that many, many times uh, over the course of that first two or three years. But then as as I started to fine tune, I, I noticed, oh, this is exactly it. And the whole time I was taking notes on my own zone of genius. Like, what is it? What is the thinking that really fires me up? Um, what's the impact that's really fulfilling to me? And it was like a puzzle. I just kept refining, pivoting. And ultimately, I got to the point where I noticed that when I was working with an individual and they were talking to me about their life and who they who they were, it kind of, you know, all of the lights started going off. Bing, bing, yeah. bing, bing, bing. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's when I started to then really get focused on this is my business. This is my service. This is what I do. And, you know, prior to that, the language was, you know, far more general, not as specific. I was still exploring. Um, but once I got clear on that and then I kept refining, that's when really my methodology started to, to, uh, to emerge. And I remember, I think it was, I did my TEDx talk about five years ago. Okay. And prior to that, you know, again, after, kind of nailing what it was I was going to do. I spent two or three years working with people and refining my process. And then I got the TEDx talk and it was fascinating because I hired someone to help me create the talk. And that moment was one of the most important moments for my business because that talk showed me my methodology. Up until that point, I didn't really, I knew I had one, but I couldn't I couldn't talk about it as a methodology. I just was doing it. Yeah. And and that set the stage then for like, oh, here's the methodology. Here's and then I started um taking it even further and further. And that's ultimately, you know, where it got to the point where it's a book. It's a process that can be then talked about and mm-hmm. refined. Yeah. Yeah. So the two there's kind of two things in that story that I'd I'd love to dig into a little bit. Um one is I think this idea, I think a lot of people have 
this idea that their professional development kind of happens in kind of this smooth line, sort of smooth incremental progress every day. And I like the TEDx story because I think it highlights certainly what I have found personally and a lot of the folks I work with, which is it tends to happen in kind of bigger leaps and jumps and epiphanies and uh, these, these really kind of pivotal moments. And and it sounds like the, the TEDx talk for you know was one of these for you in terms of and I don't know how much it was kind of a forcing function or how much of it was just it was the right thing that needed to happen at that point. But it really kind of focused and synthesized a lot of ideas or, or a lot of things that were kind of floating around for you that in, into a real solid core idea that was going to serve you well in the, in the next kind of phase. I mean, I guess how much how much did you feel like it was a, this real pivotal moment in terms of gelling oh, yeah. this thing? Oh, it was it was it was a pivotal moment in so many ways because, you know, I had wanted a TEDx talk. So I was, ex- you know, that was a, a it was a goal. It was uh-huh. a desire. Yeah. I also got it and only had a couple months to like a month to prepare, yeah. which was kind of insane. Yeah. And at the time, I was also commuting to Romania back and forth. <laughs> So I was in, um, I was in Bucharest when I got the TEDx talk and the TEDx talk was in Connecticut and absolutely it forced me to, to really see my work for what it was, create a story around it. And then through that process, and I really, I learned as well during that moment that, and I kind of knew this before, but how important it was to hire people to help me with that. Because the gentleman that that I worked with there, I was like, I never would have seen this methodology in the way that I did without his support. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah. And so I, after that talk, it was really, I think the the genius habit at that point was born. I wasn't calling it that at that point, but Mm -hmm. the methodology was there. And I was able to, once you see it, you can then begin refining it at an even deeper level over time. Yeah. It's funny. I and find those kind of moments have that kind of complexity. Like I'm sure if you if you would have known six months earlier and were able to kind of lay out the plan, and all, I'm not sure it would have turned out the same way. <laughs> you know, I think there's there's something about the sort of the complexity and the kind of the pressure and the the things you have to kind of make happen to to do those things that end up contributing to their kind of the, the sort of the impact they can have on you in a career. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it was a, it was a, it was a wild month in preparation for that. And it was in many ways such a great accomplishment. And it was also really scary as a speaker too. I really think it threw me into the deep end of the pool. Um, because a TEDx talk is you're not engaging. It's you're in front of a camera and there's no edits, which in a normal world, there's always edits, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and I thought this is a one take deal that's going to be shared everywhere. And, um, it was, so it was, yeah, it was, it was a lot that that whole experience, um, I think took me to a different level in in many ways. I'm sure. The other thing I was picking up on your story, and I'd be curious to get your take on this is you're mentioning a lot of kind of the feeling of when you or other people were kind of really in their zone and, and yeah. you know, on, on firing and all similar and stuff. I guess how much, and this is something I, I've kind of had to learn or experimented with probably the last decade, is how much of this is kind of the logical, rational intellectualization of what I do, where I want to go, what's going to make me happy, and how much of this is much more of an intuitive kind of feeling, kind of feeling what you're feeling and using that as an indicator or as a guide or as a a way of kind of evaluating is the work that I'm doing on purpose for me or not. I'm curious Mm. how much you kind of bring that to the surface and how much that's just kind of happened for you and how that works into your thinking. This is a great question. There's a lot there. So I, 
here's when I had my crisis and I couldn't find answers. Mm -hmm. My issue was that it felt like a lot of my questions and my desire was fluffy or there was no data. There was no way to really rationally go about my situation or logically. It felt all, you know, as you mentioned, feelings like I, I want to feel fulfilled. Is that how can you be logical about that? And Honestly, what I've done with my work, and this is probably because, well, my genius is an insight excavator. So what I'm really good at is seeing patterns in data and then drawing conclusions from it. And what I discovered through my research was that this actually is a very logical and can be a quantitative a quantitative topic mm-hmm. that with data, with research, um, with a process and that what that tell that told me it was a couple things. One is that it's available to everyone because that was the other problem is that when I started feeling this way, I thought, well, there's only a few people that are really successful. You know, Oprah seems yeah. to love what she does and she also makes a lot of money. Wow. Like how many Oprahs are there? Very few. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this idea that being really successful or having the kind of career that you love is is lucky. You're lucky which also is not logical and it's not data driven. But I, again, what I discovered it is the opposite. So my process in itself really drills, it takes a lot of this, the questions and puts data to it. Got it. And it allows anyone, because I, I also believe anyone can achieve the success they want. Anyone can have a job they love. Everyone has a genius. Everyone has something exceptional about themselves that can be a major contributor to our society and to the world. Yeah. And so my the genius habit in itself is a tracking methodology that allows you to access data that's in yourself. It actually makes the process of becoming more successful very rational and logical and approachable. Got it. So let, let's talk about the, the, the genius habit, the process. So I guess walk us through, give us a sense of what it means to go through your process, what kind of the, the, the things you're focused on and the outcomes that you're looking to achieve with it. Yeah, well, I mean, I really just wanted to help people that had a similar problem to mine um, solve it pretty quickly. So it, it the genius habit in a way, it's, it's meant to demystify the how. How do you approach being more successful in general? And then also drilling that down to having great performance at work week over week. And performance, individual, great individual yeah. performance is comprised of two data points. You must be challenged in a way that's a good way for you and you must be fulfilled. And so the genius habit helps you identify those data points in yourself and make and and helps you build the consistent behavior habits that allow you to not only be who you are at work, but also be consistently challenged and fulfilled. Got it. So I guess I intuitively or or I just I get challenged fairly well. It's kind of the, you know, being in the learning zone, like feeling like you're, you know, you're you're applying the things you know in new creative ways and you're not panicked, but you're synthesizing things and ways that are advancing your capabilities and thinking. Yeah. Tell me well, about- you might be a synthesizer. Synthesizing well, maybe. is, yeah, that, that could, you're describing one genius. I mean, my genius is kind of a synthesizer. I'm looking for patterns and data. Yeah. Um, but what I've discovered is everyone, once again, though, I think everyone has lots of things that they're really good at. But what I discovered is that, and you know, I've called it a genius. You could call it whatever you want to me. Got the it. language is just meant to say, if this is something you're exceptional at, but it's the kind of thinking or problem solving that challenges you in the best way possible for yourself. Oh, interesting. So, so the definition of 
uh, kind of challenge is is person specific. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Uh, so and talk to me. I think that's yeah. where that's another that's another thing that you know I don't think many people think about. You know, what kind of challenge is right for me? They know when it's not good, but they're not often mm. aware of the when the challenge is good for them. What are some example. other examples? Give it, so for other folks, what might challenge look like, or how might it be different between people? Yeah, well, you know, I in the book I kind of list, I mentioned like a whole list of different geniuses, mm-hmm. and there's and I bucket them into different categories. I mean, everyone is unique, but I have seen patterns in the types of thinking or problem solving that most people find most enjoyable. Uh-huh. So, you know, there is a group of synthesizers or dist- people that like to distill things. Um, and that's kind of like me, like taking yeah. a bunch of data and looking for patterns in it. And I also like to look for patterns in data, either from research but also when talking to people and people's answers to my questions. So that's specific to me. There are other geniuses that are about building things, you know, or um, another really great one is possibilitarian. I love that one. You know, (laughs) someone who's just, who is just challenged in the best way by always thinking of possibilities. And so there's, there's a, there's an infinite number of them. Um, And even when someone might have the same label, like the same language, the way in which they use it or the way in which it is manifested within them is, is often unique. So how you might go about synthesizing something would be different from how I would go about it. And the power of knowing this in yourself, once again, it's kind of data, you know this about yourself. It then allows you to more easily be able to identify if a project or the thinking or a job or a career is the right one for you in that moment. I like that. And so then talk to me about fulfillment. So that's about challenge. So you said there are two things that you're measuring, challenge yeah. and fulfillment. What is, I guess, define fulfillment for us and, and then talk to us about how, how we measure fulfillment. Well, we the, the fulfillment part is the purpose. So we I said the zone of genius is your genius and your purpose. Okay. And I define purpose as the impact that fulfills you. And this speaks to intrinsic motivation. So most of us know, and Dan Pink has talked a lot about this, and a lot of people have talked about it, but in order to actually have, be endlessly motivated towards anything, you need to be intrinsically motivated, which means it needs to come from within yourself. Now, we've been taught, again, this is society and, and the way that the tech companies have been set up is that we are, we think that we're motivated by rewards, such as more money, more perks more, you know, free food. I worked at Google. I got free food. I got massages. And I will say that it was great, but it did not cause, it didn't motivate me internally. Yeah. It actually made me addicted um, to, <laughs> to yeah. made me think I couldn't live without it, which is, it actually did a, a negative thing for me. Yeah. So in order for you to have endless motivation, you need to be connected to something within yourself. And what I discovered is that what impact that's meaningful for you has to be connected to your story. It has to be connected to something you've experienced in a, in a powerful way. I call it your core emotional challenge. This gets to your psychology. We've all had lots of wounding or baggage or, or really difficult emotional challenges. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a central one that's kind of the, the, the main challenge they've faced throughout their life. If you can identify that, you then have the beginnings of your your purpose because if you reverse it. So for me, 
not being seen and understood for who I for who I am by my family Mm -hmm. means that I'm endlessly motivated to help others see themselves for who they are. Interesting. So by identifying this this core story or the core experience that you've had will will allow you then to articulate your purpose because it's a function of that. Exactly. Exactly. Because people get 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 confused with the purpose thing because it's again it's been taught that it's a lot of people have a sense of obligation around purpose. Oh, well it means giving back and any sort of core missional challenge is helping someone else. So that's true. But it has to come from you need to be personally connected to the impact in order for you to feel that motivation. It can't be obligatory. Yeah. And I have found that most people, when they come to me and I talk to them about fulfillment or purpose, they say, well, I, I go do this on the weekends. Well, do you enjoy it? Well, not really. I do it out of, you know, that's not purpose. <laughs> yeah. Intrinsic motivation, if you have, you know, and, and for those people that have never experienced it is it's a kind of energy that you can't imagine. You just have endless energy for it, which is why for my business, you know, the work I do, I will always be motivated to help people to see them for who they are. And when you start tapping into that, then you start to be, you begin to see you have the energy to go leaps and bounds over someone that's not tapped into that. And that's what creates long-term success is that energy, that intrinsic motivation. Yeah, no, I like it. And how do we track this? So if, if the idea behind this is you're creating data out of, uh, you know, creating data points on a daily basis out of these, these two uh, variables, how do I, you know, at the end of the day or during the day, how do I evaluate whether or not my day was kind of on purpose or connected to this, to this purpose? Well, that's the beauty of the, the performance tracker, which I developed and it's, you know, in the book. And if anyone gets the book, they can download an electronic version from my website. But it's not only just the genius and purpose that you're tracking if, if you're using those. Am I using the doing the thinking and problem solving that I'm good at? Am I having the impact? But I also pull in other pieces from the psychology and science of performance that are really important for success, such as persevering through failures, for example. But the questions in the tracker ask you, force the data, allow you to extract the data on how you're doing on all of these functions that then tell yourself, because you might feel like, wow, I just had this amazing moment and you kind of move on from it. Well, if you fill out the tracker, it'll take you back to that moment and allow you to dissect it and then say, how can I repeat it? Oh, interesting. I like this. So it basically, it, it's, it's like a, a little retrospective or a little reflection. Yes. On I, a, it's like a Fitbit for your work performance is yeah. what I would call it. And it, it allows you to check in on, on the things that really matter in order to create the kind of success that I want, which is work that you love and is ultimately fulfilling. Yeah. So it, it asks you questions on each of those core behaviors. Now, there's five principles. So the genius and the purpose are two of those. But then there's other three other principles that touch on some what I discovered, which are the most important other variables for success, um, which is joy, perseverance and mindset. So, you know, it does distill it down to just five things that are most important when it comes to being successful over the long term. Yeah. And I just kind of reemphasize this. I think that, uh, and I'll, I'll bring in kind of sports analogies here, you know, having, having done lots of sports at a fairly competitive level over my life, I think one of the, the most effective kind of coaching tools or coaching experiences is watching the videotape, <laughs> you know, and it's going back over, over the performance, whether, you know, it's skiing or rowing or running, you know, and, and actually looking at, okay, what actually happened here? What made 
this particular performance so much better than another particular performance and and really dialing in and understanding the nuance and the you know the things that happened just before that what you're doing during it what did you do afterwards to make that such a good event or a, a good performance and i think i like this idea of being able to go back through the day and say hey like let's really zero in on what was great about that day and what behaviors context things that i do that that i did led up to that and and how do I repeat it? How do I make that part of my regular habits and patterns? Absolutely. I love that analogy. I think that's a perfect one. I would only add that you would then dissect what was going on in your head. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because that's the, that's the, the mindset piece, which is, you know, a lot of people say, I want to be confident, but they're not building their confidence muscle. So a big thing is like, what is the negative chatter that he experienced Mm. this week? What are some of your you know, what's, what's, what are some of your triggers from your past that are showing up at work? There's a lot of, a lot of questions. Again, the data is there. And by going through that in reverse, you're able to see it and then shift and rethink your behaviors and your experience for work for the week ahead. Awesome. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about the business. So you've, you've created a system, you've created the content, you've been working with folks, getting the, you know, the experiences and the data points and, you know, seeing this, this stuff applied. How have you been building your business around this? So you've got the book, you've got speaking events. Tell us a little bit about how that's been going. What have you learned about building your, your business around, uh, the, the work that you've been doing? Wow. Well, you know, it's always, it's a continual journey. I'm always learning <laughs> things every week. <laughs> you know, and I, I would say one thing that I would say the one common thread is that I just love what I do and I'm, you know, walking my talk. So I fill out my tracker every week. I'm always aware of, am I in my zone of genius? Am I building a business that's a reflection of who I am? And is the business having the impact that's connected to my purpose? So that's a, that's always happening. And so I'm constantly adjusting it with those things in mind. Mm-hmm. And I would say a, a component of that is that I'm really big on hiring people to do things that I'm not good at. And so at the moment, you know, my business, because it's a reflection of what I'm best at, I've chosen, you know, my main revenue generators are one-on-one work. So when I work with, when I coach people one-on-one speaking and, and also speaking and then workshops, and then I just created a new product called the Genius Habit Book Club, uh, which I'm really excited about. But those are really the key revenue drivers. Then of course the book. Mm-hmm. And the other component of my business that I do is I write a lot. So I contribute to, I write um, about seven articles a month uh, for Inc. and Forbes. And so that part of my business is not only allowing me to kind of continually think, kind of get my thoughts and ideas on paper, but also gives me practice in the art of marketing and figuring out how to share it, how to, how does that help leverage um building awareness of my ideas, of the business, other people's ideas, other work. So that's a big component of, of my business as well. And how I manage it over time, I'm constantly looking for ways to be better at it all. And I'm always looking for new experts or people to hire to help me do that. And sometimes it's full-time, sometimes it, or part, usually everyone I work with is part-time, but mm-hmm. sometimes it's a part of my team. And sometimes it's just, I hire someone to come in and work with me just for a day or two to help me rethink things. So I'm a big, uh, a big fan of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I certainly have found extremely helpful bringing in folks to give you kind of perspective and, uh, you know, feedback on things, particularly areas that uh, you don't have as much experience or expertise in. Yeah. And I would say one big lesson I had, you asked with lessons, is that was sales. So I was always doing sales on my own. I continue to do sales work on my own. But, um, and I actually mentioned this in the book too, but it's that one big 
insight was that I would do sales, get a client and then stop sales <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because I was busy working with clients. And what I, I kind of had a realization, this was maybe three years ago. And I also, a big shift was when I went from just focusing on entrepreneurs to the corporate world. And this shift in sales kind of happened at a similar time is that I decided I needed to build a sales engine. And um, I had my business manager act as sales support and I created an ongoing process. So right now we're always doing sales and I dive in and out of it, but it's happening regardless of my participation or not. Yeah. And then, you know, and again, shifting to the corporate world also presented a, a number of different challenges, but it also made sense for me because that was my background. But yes, yeah. that was a big shift. I think the sales happening all the time helped kind of take us to the next level as well. Yeah, I certainly find that the busier I am, the more I need to sell. <laughs> it's just like, it, it's, uh, it's such a classic uh, bullwhip effect that a lot of companies get into as they get very busy, they stop selling and then they're not so busy and then they're scrambling. So, exactly. Um, good, good advice. If people want to find out more about you, about the book, uh, what's the best way to get that information? Yes, they can just go to my website, lauragarnett.com, and you can go to the Genius Habit tab where you can read all about the book. And you can also join my newsletter where if you join my newsletter, you actually get the introduction to the book for free. So that's a great way to kind of just get a little sample of the Genius Habit and see if it's right for you. And um, and yeah, that Good. would be that would be great. Perfect. I will make sure that those links are in the show notes so people can click through and, and get that. Laura, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking some time. I love talking about this. I think our audience, um, I think there's so many people in our audience that have you know built businesses around things that they do very, very well, but they're often kind of struggling with, is this really what I was meant to do? How do I turn this into something that's really going to drive passion and, and long-term satisfaction and success? So this was really helpful. Great. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. I, I so appreciate you having me on. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.